0: We are in a series on the church and we began last week in Matthew chapter 16 and uh, Matthew 16, 18, Jesus made this promise. He said, I will build my church. Isn't that an incredible promise? Isn't that an incredible encouraging statement that Jesus would make? I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. What a promise, what a promise that God uh, would promise in his word that his church would be built. This morning we're going to be in Acts chapter 2. You can turn there uh, in your copy of God's word, Acts chapter 2, we'll look at verses 42 to 47 this morning, and as we go to the text This morning, we want to look at this text as we seek to have an understanding of the purpose of the church. Uh, Last week, Pastor Butch had shared in here in defining the church and giving an understanding of that. If you weren't able to be here last week, we don't have time to recover everything, so I want to encourage you to access that message online, and uh, you can watch that and get that introduction to the series uh, so do take time to watch that this week if you've not already heard that or listen into that uh, but we want to move forward this morning into acts chapter 2 verses 42 to 47 and so would you follow along in your word of god that you have before you with me and they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers And having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Uh, Jesus promised that he would build his church, and nothing, not a thing, or no one would be able to stop that building project, if you will. He promised it would be done. And he will fulfill that and follow through with that. And here's the amazing thought this morning. If you know Christ as your Savior today, you and I, as those that know Jesus as our Savior, are part of that church. That's pretty incredible to consider that this morning. That you and I are part of the body of Christ. Let that sink in for a moment. Have you ever found yourself thinking, Throughout the day, I wish I could be a part of something special. Have you ever thought, man, I wish I could be a part of something significant? I wish I could be included in something of significance, or value, or worth. Can I share with you, there is no greater value or significance that you can be a part of than that of the body of Christ, of the church, of which you and I as followers of Jesus Christ are members of. We are part of that called out group. We as children of God are part of that assembly that Christ promised to build, the assembly that the very gates of hell could not and will not be able to prevail against. And so this morning, as we continue in our series on the church, we want to speak about an understanding of the purpose of the church. Certainly we exist and the church exists, but for what purpose? Why? What should we be occupied with and participating in as the church while we are here? Now as a church, if you have read through our doctrinal statement, if you've read through our mission statement and purpose statement as a church, we would agree that there is a five-fold biblical purpose that the Word of God lays out for the church. And certainly as a blanket statement, we can say that the universal church, of which the local churches and individuals are part of, exists and are driven with the purpose of glorifying God. That would go really without saying that all that we are doing as individuals who follow Jesus Christ, all that the church does is to be done for the glory of God. He must always increase and we must decrease. All that we do is to be done for the glory of God, for the purpose of glorifying God. And our calling as a child of God is to glorify God. It's to seek to glorify God as we share and proclaim all that we have been taught and learned concerning Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ. But from the study of the New Testament church, there's a five-fold purpose that the church was committed to and driven by. And those five purposes that fulfill that five-fold purpose of the church are worship, discipleship, fellowship, service... And evangelism, and these are in no particular order of importance. Worship, discipleship, fellowship, service, evangelism. As we study through the New Testament scriptures and we look specifically at the church, in the New Testament scriptures it becomes very clear and prevalent that these five purposes or this five-fold purpose exists For the church of Jesus Christ. That these five elements really should be part of every church. And that we should be pursuing, fulfilling these purposes as the body of Christ. To worship God to discipleship, to fellowship with one another, to serve him and serve one another and to reach the lost with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Again, all of the above, all of these on the screen for the glory of God that he might increase and we might decrease to make much of his great name. As a church... We would ascribe to these five-fold purposes as laid out to the New Testament and seek to implement them through our missions statement, which you've heard and seen if you've been here for any amount of time, that our desire, our mission as a church is for every believer in Jesus Christ to connect with one another, grow in Christ, and serve Christ, to connect to grow and to serve and within each of these words and each of these desires we have as a church in our mission we see fulfillment of the fivefold purpose of the church as we do these things as catalysts for these things to take place we want everyone to connect to grow and to serve after they've believed in Christ as savior This morning, as we look at Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47, we're going to see how these five different purposes, this five-fold purpose of the church was displayed in the earliest church in Acts chapter 2, the passage that we've already read there this morning. I came across an interesting quote from uh, Pastor John MacArthur as he was preaching on this text, and he's referencing Acts chapter 2, 42 to 47, and I thought this was just an incredible statement that really brings out the text and, and understanding as we approach the text. Listen to what he says, and it's, it's on the screen as well. He says, now here, he's speaking of Acts chapter 2, we meet the first church in history. This was the church that, led, that Jesus built on the day of Pentecost. This was the first one, close to the flame, born at Pentecost, unspotted, uncorrupted in its infancy. The purest church, in the days of its splendid prime, when the memory of Jesus was vivid and the gift of the Holy Spirit was new, only hours after its birth, it's thriving on the ecstasy of new life, thriving on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the ascended Christ, the power of God. And you know something? They didn't know anything about a church, nothing. There was no precedent. They didn't have a book on the church. They didn't have a denomination to go to. They didn't even have a New Testament. They had nothing. They didn't have any seminars or conferences or conventions or experts on the church or books to read. There was nothing. But this was the church that Jesus built his way, uncluttered, uncompromising, and still today the model for the church right here. I love the way he says that and introduces the first Church that we see in Acts chapter 2. And, and it's a good reminder for us and sets maybe some context for us in our understanding as we look at this text. Again, we've already read it, but I want to read it a second time this morning. Understand what those that were participating in and part of this body of believers would have been through and understood and were going through at that time. Christ had just recently ascended back to the Father, which followed his resurrection, which followed his death, which followed an unjust trial, which followed all these miraculous things that Jesus would do and incredible teaching that Jesus would proclaim. Think of the timeline that would bring us to Acts chapter 2. Jesus Christ, born of the Virgin Mary, conceived by the Holy Spirit, lived a perfect, sinless, holy life. He would say of himself, he came not to do his own will, but to the will of him who sent me. He, Jesus would say, I do, not, I do not have my life taken from me, but I'm laying it down, he would say. Jesus would live a perfect life, perform miracles in teaching that they had never seen or heard. He would be falsely accused, arrested, beaten, punished, and crucified. Only to die and rise again from the dead three days later, securing and proving that he is in fact the Son of God, the Word of God made flesh. He would appear to witnesses, many witnesses, and he would ascend to the Father. And the church, the day of Pentecost, as the Spirit of God would come upon those that would hear the message of the gospel preached and proclaimed. The church would begin. And here they are Acts chapter 2, the earliest church. Again, I love what John MacArthur said when he said they didn't have any books or seminars or conferences, no manual. Here's how you do church. It didn't exist. And yet here they are. And we are privileged this morning, as believers in Christ, to be able to look at these words and to be able to look at the word of God and have a look at what they were doing as they began meeting as the church. Let's look again at it, Acts chapter 2. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is an incredible movement, an incredible building of Christ's church, we see in Acts chapter 2. So, as we look at the passage this morning, what I'd like to point out are five unwavering commitments that the early church had that we see in this text which allowed them to drive to pursue this fulfillment of what we see throughout the New Testament scriptures as the fivefold purpose of the church. Five unwavering commitments that we see in the text this morning and that are commitments we too should be committed to today as followers of Christ as the church. Number one, they had a commitment to the faithful teaching and proclamation of God's word. There was a commitment to the faithful teaching and proclamation of God's word. And this would fulfill this area of discipleship and worship and evangelism as there is faithful commitment and teaching of the word of God and proclamation of the word of God. If you look back one verse in Acts chapter 2 to verse 41, we started in verse 42, but jump back a verse and start in verse 41. And I want to look again at verses 41 through 44. It says this So those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about three thousand souls. Talk about a response! Talk about a response! I don't, you know, I can tend to get a little bit like hyped up when it, when when I'm preaching. Like I can get a little bit loud, and sometimes I got to tell myself in my head when I'm preaching, like calm down when I'm preaching. Like that's the like thing that I battle when I'm when I'm when I'm preaching. There's many times that I have to like pause in my head. I'm thinking, hey, calm down, don't yell like when I'm preaching because I just get. Get fired up like when I'm going. Can you imagine that scene? Can you imagine? I I didn't want to miss verse 41 as we jump right into 42 to 47. Don't miss verse 41. Those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Peter's preaching. Like Peter gives a sermon And he preaches, and he preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ, and he preaches to these individuals that were there. And as a result of that, God took his word and the spirit of God, used the word of God, and that day, about 3,000 souls were added. Now listen, if you come to church every Sunday, You walk in and you're not a real enthusiastic person and your personality is not such that it takes a lot to get you excited. It takes a lot. If you're used to coming in and hearing the word of God taught and you come in and there's thousands of people and 3,000 people trust Jesus as Savior, that's going to move you. And all that were there and that witnessed this and saw this saw the power of God on display. And that day, 3,000 were added to their number. That's, the only word to describe that is incredible. There's other words, miraculous, amazing, awesome, right? Incredible, the power of God. But don't miss, it says those who received His word. There was the proclamation and preaching, teaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ, of the word of God, and as a result, souls were saved. Folks, I think sometimes we can be so guilty of minimizing the impact and the power that the word of God can have in someone's life. As a church, we will be in great error and fault if we ever turn to the right or to the left of the word of God. We must remain faithful to the teaching and proclamation of God's word. That is where there is power. There is power in the word of God. And it says in verse 41 that they received his word. They received his word and they were baptized. In verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now listen, the teaching that they're talking about, the apostles' teaching, would be that which they were taught by Christ. Jesus would give this command to his apostles. He would give his command. He would say, listen, I want you to go, go and teach, proclaim all that I have taught you. Teach and proclaim all things concerning me, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Go into all the world teaching them, right? What was the apostles teaching? Their teaching was the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was that which Christ commanded them to teach. And we know that to be certain, Paul would give a very, very firm warning, That if anyone is coming and they're teaching anything other than the gospel that they've received and that they've heard, if they're teaching another gospel, if they're teaching another teaching, that they should be accursed, they should not be listened to, they should be removed from their assembly and from their presence. They committed themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayers. They devoted themselves to this. There was a very clear unwavering commitment to the faithful teaching and proclamation of God's word. This is what Paul would reference in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We preached on this not that long ago. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 verses 11 to 14. Paul was telling the believers there that like a father with his children, he cared for them and encouraged them and exhorted them. And he charged them to walk in a manner worthy of God. Walk in a worthy manner. And he thanked God for them. And in verse 13 of 1 Thessalonians 2, he says this, We thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. Understand what Paul was saying here. He was telling these believers, when you received God's word, you received it as the word of God. You welcomed it not as the words of men, but the word of God. Understand the importance of that. Understand the absolute necessity of that. Understand this truth. You and I cannot walk in a manner that is worthy of the name by which we called, independent of our obedience to the word of God. We need the faithful teaching and proclamation of God's word. And we need to be obedient to it. This was a clear commitment that the early church had. And it's a commitment we must maintain today. We've told you before as a church if we, as leaders at Maranatha Bible Church, stray away from the clear teaching of the Word of God, that needs to be called out. Because we must always be centered on God's Word. The word of God is our authority and that must not, cannot, and will not change because God's word is truth. Secondly, there was a commitment to meeting the needs of one another, a commitment to meeting The needs of one another, and this would fulfill these areas of fellowship and service and evangelism and worship. In Acts 2, 44 and 45, it says, All who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Now, we want to stop for a moment because there's a lot of confusion on on some of these verses where people say, hey, right here is the Bible example of uh, support for socialism. Uh, Right here is the Bible example that in the body of Christ and amongst the believers in Jesus Christ, no one should have anything more than anyone else has, and everybody should be selling everything that they have, and they should have everything in common, and everybody should just take what they want, and no one should have anything more than anyone else, and that just would be a wrong interpretation of this passage. A couple things. First, this is the only time that we read of this happening in the New Testament church, This is a very unique setting and a very unique situation. You had many believers who were displaced, who had nowhere to go. You had the assembly of believers that were called out and identifying with one another and they were remaining right where they were. But I also want you to understand that there was a willful selling, a willful selling on the part of those that were selling their things to meet specific needs that would arise within the body. They believed, they were together, they had all things in common. Uh, Most commentators, pastors that preach and teach uh, would agree that when it says all things in common, it means that everybody held on lightly to anything that they possessed because they were ready, willing, and able, if necessary, to get rid of, to sell, to distribute, to meet the needs of the body of Christ. They did not hold on tightly to the things of this world but they recognized that all that they had, all that they possessed, would be used for the glory of God. And if that meant meeting needs of fellow believers, that's what they would do. It's the only time we read of this happening in the New Testament church where they had all things in common and they were selling their possessions and belongings, distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. A unique setting. Here's what's interesting as well. Later on in the Word of God, in the epistles, we, talk, we hear about those that were taking up collections, That each one was going to give as they purposed in their heart to give. Each one was going to provide as they had opportunity to provide. A little bit later on in Acts chapter 5, when we read about Ananias and Sapphira. And we read about what they were doing and where they were selling their land and bringing a portion back. And God, because they lied, struck them dead. The reason that they were struck dead was because of their lying to God not because they held something back, but because they lied about it. And so understand the point that's being made here is that there was a commitment on the part of the New Testament church to meeting the needs of one another within the body. They had all things in common. They were looking out for one another. And as any need would arise, the body of Christ would meet that need. And that's something that we have to be aware of this morning. It's something that we have to be willing as the body of Christ to be cognizant of the needs of the body that are without around us. You know, immediately my mind goes to all of the one another's. And you've heard about the one another's in New Testament scriptures. The one another's that were proclaimed and preached about in the New Testament. And a lot of times we can share a few of those. If I were to just give everybody an opportunity to say, hey, everybody share with me what one of the one another's in scripture are. Where it talks about love one another and do good to one another and pray for one another. There's, there's a number of them, maybe six or seven that everybody is, is, is maybe able to rattle off on the top, tip of their tongue about the one another's in the New Testament. I want to share with you some of them because there are many, many, dozens and dozens and dozens of one another's that would make it very clear in the church there should be a commitment to meeting the needs of one another. Listen to some of these one another's. Be at peace with one another. Wash one another's feet. Love one another. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Live in harmony with one another. Stop passing judgment on one another. Accept one another. Instruct one another. Have equal concern for each other. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Serve one another in love. Carry each other's burdens. Be patient and bear with one another. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgive each other. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Do not lie to each other. Bear with each other. Forgive One another. Admonish one another. Make your love increase and overflow for each other. Build each other up. Encourage one another daily. Spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Do not slander one another. Don't grumble against each other. Confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other. Love one another deeply from the heart. Live in harmony with one another. Offer hospitality to one another. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others. There should be a very clear commitment to meeting the needs of one another in the body of Christ. If you've been on the receiving end of that, you know what an incredible blessing that is. If you have been on the giving end of that, you know what an incredible blessing that is. If you have not been on either, it is time to commit to serving and meeting the needs of one another in the body of Christ. Number three, there was a commitment to the ordinances of baptism and communion. We're not going to spend a great deal of time on this third point because we are going to be looking at both baptism and communion, the Lord's table, in the weeks ahead. And so we're not going to spend a great deal of time. But notice again, verse 41 They had received God's word and they were baptized. The passage makes reference to the breaking of bread in their homes together. It speaks about breaking of bread in their homes, receiving food with glad and generous hearts. When that statement or phrase of breaking of bread is used there, it not only is used in conjunction with sharing a meal, which they were doing together, but also we would read even in 1 Corinthians where Paul speaks about this feasting that they would have together in communion that this represents as well of the Lord's table, of the body of Christ and the observance of the Lord's table within the body. There was a commitment to the ordinances of baptism and communion. Number four, a commitment to influence and impact those within and those outside of the church. A commitment to influence and impact both those within and those outside of the church. Verses 46 and 47. It says, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Very clearly, there were those that they were impacting that were not yet followers of Christ because it says that they were being added to their numbers daily, those who were being saved. There was a commitment to influence and impact not only those within the body of Christ, but those outside of the body of Christ. And as a result of this commitment and the faithful teaching and preaching of the gospel of Christ, daily, it says, daily, there were those that were being added to the church, day by day by day. People were getting saved, trusting in Christ every day, day by day they were being added to their number. What joy, what excitement, and what fulfillment that they had opportunity to see on a daily basis, remembering the words of Christ, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. In the midst of absolute incredible persecution, Jesus Christ was building his church. In the midst of absolute desire for destruction by the enemy, Jesus Christ was building his church. And friends, today in the midst of a culture that has rejected God and has rejected the word of God, I promise you, Jesus Christ is still building his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. There was impact. Impact both within and outside of the church. Let me ask you today, how are you serving as part of that impact? How are you a part of the impact that God wants to be made within and outside of the church? If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, let me ask you, where are you serving? Because the question isn't, should you serve? The question is, where are you serving? Because we already know the answer to that. You should be. The Word of God tells us that every believer has a gift to be used for the edification of the body of Christ, to be used for the building up of the body of Christ, the church. So how are you serving, believer? Where are you serving, Within the church. You see, there's not a ceasing or halting to the necessity of service within the body of Christ. There's not a sabbatical on service or a sabbatical on the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ because of war, sickness, disease, threats, man made laws, or global pandemics. There's not a ceasing of the necessity of the body of Christ to serve and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. God's purpose remains. So if you're not serving today, let me ask you, why not? If you're not proclaiming the gospel today, let me ask you, why not? It would certainly be a false statement for us to say there aren't any opportunities to share Christ And it would be an absolute false statement to say there's not any opportunities to serve Christ. If you want to share Christ, share him. Share him with your neighbors, with friends, with family, with coworkers, with social media followers, with your waiter or waitress, your grocery store clerk, your mechanic, whoever has ears to hear. Let them hear the gospel of Jesus Christ from the mouths of believers in Jesus Christ. Let us share that good news. If you want to serve, get serving. Get serving. It's commanded by God that we serve one another, that we edify in the body of Christ with the gifts that God's given to us. If you want to know where you can serve in our church today, we need people to serve in our music ministry, in our tech ministry. We need greeters on Sunday morning with smiling faces to welcome people to our church. Smile, even if it's an ugly smile, smile. (laughs) And serve as a greeter. We need people who would be willing to serve with our coffee ministry and serving others in that way. As ushers in our children's ministry with our beautiful children's director, (laughs) who is my wife. (laughs) In our youth ministry, in our ABFs, in our connect groups, with the kitchen, we need people who in the body of Christ are willing to serve Christ for the glory of God. What are we waiting for? Serve him. Proclaim him. Make his name great in words and in actions. Glorify God. It's what we've been called to. And so let's get busy doing it. Let's get committed to doing it. It is time. It's time. No more waiting. No more waiting. I'm already over, but I got another point. (laughs) Number five. They had a commitment to transformed and joy-filled living. They had a commitment to transformed and joy-filled living. Listen to how pleasant this sounds. Day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. They had a commitment to transformed and joy-filled living. Can I just encourage with you something? Church, believer, before you go today, if you and I are committed to transformed and joy-filled living in the world we're living in, everyone will notice that. Everyone will ask for a reason of the hope that is within you. So be ready. Be ready to give an answer for your joy filled living. Father, we thank you for your word today. Might we be so committed to you, to joy filled, transformed living, that no matter where we are or who we're with, there's the question that is asked about the hope that is within us. Help us to be bold in proclaiming it is all because of Jesus.